Welcome to the Digital Irish Podcast. If you haven't been with us before, welcome. We are so happy to have you. For those who have been with us before, this is truly a special episode because we actually have multiple experts in AI. And I'm actually joined by Martha from Enterprise Ireland, who helped put this panel together today. Martha, thank you for joining, firstly, and thank you for helping me put all of this together today. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Really excited for this conversation. Just as a preview to this conversation, I think the thing that I took away most from this is that a lot of the work that's being done right now by these innovators, entrepreneurs, and experts is really about adding value to people's lives, providing tools that can enhance the work that they're doing. And it's really all about value add, value creation, which I just thought was really inspiring. Couldn't agree more. I think I have the the privilege and the pleasure of of working with tens of client companies with varying levels of investment into their operations in the US. But I think one thing is very clear for me looking at our enterprise software sector of clients, and that is the expertise that we have in this area is astounding. I think what folks on the on the podcast audience might hear today is potentially surprising just how long some of these client companies have been working and advancing in the area of AI. So I think one great takeaway from today, uh, the conversation today is we're already doing this in Ireland. You know, we have uh, some heavy hitting client companies on our roster that are doing amazing things in the artificial intelligence space. And yes, generative AI, Google's Bard and and OpenAI's ChatGPT are uh, front page news these days. Um, But this is not a net new area for Irish companies. We are definitely, uh, you know, probably punching above our weight in this area. Um, And we've got some amazing experts on the the conversation today that I hope will be able to portray that for your audience um, and really allow them to speak to some of the amazing things that they're doing with AI today. What a great point and what a great segue straight into our panel. So we're just going to drop you right in it. We have an amazing panel of experts in the area of AI and how it's being applied by Irish innovators, Irish businesses and Irish entrepreneurs. I'm very excited about this panel. This is the first time that we've had not just one guest, but five guests with us today. So here is our panel. Hi, Dave. My name is Alan Gormley, and I'm the CEO of Shopbox AI. We're a company that specializes in applying AI to e-commerce stores, basically creating a unique store for each customer on that store, whether they're anonymous or known. So basically, we do um, for a very simple license fee when Amazon spend hundreds of millions developing for themselves, but we do it for everybody else. My favorite application of AI is, might sound a bit boring, but one company that I've always been inspired by is Netflix because they've redefined themselves multiple times. When they decided they were going to become streaming, they actually put AI curation right at the center of it before anybody was even thinking about it. So instead of creating something where you just want, went and watched one movie, it was something that actually started to engage you and learn about you in real time. They thought deeply about the business application first, and then they figured out how technology could, could define that, rather than just taking AI and, and throwing it at everything that moved. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm delighted to be here. My name is Dr. Amelia Kelly. I'm the CTO of Soapbox Labs. Uh, we're a Dublin-based company. And uh, we specialize in voice and natural language processing technology for children's speech. Founded in 2013, so far we've delivered over 80 million learning experiences to kids, empowered over 50 education companies' products. I'm going to say my favorite application of AI is exactly what I do for a living. I've got a background in linguistics and in computer science and physics. So my favorite application in AI is making computers talk and making computers understand what we're saying to them in our natural language. Touching on what Alan was saying about the difference between building the technology, which itself is a challenge, but also the applications of it. There's no point in building technology for technology's sake. The reason we do it is to make people's lives better. Um, So we're making children's speech technology 
And my favorite application for it is in the education space. So speech recognition solutions, they get integrated into things like um, literacy uh, learning tools and language learning tools. So children are able to read and speak while they're practicing reading and practicing new languages. Our system, the AI system, can recognize what they're saying and provide granular, accurate data in response that will help children develop their language, develop their, um, their literacy and improve their pronunciation. I'm Martha O'Byrne O'Reilly. I joined Enterprise Ireland in April of this year as an SVP for digital technologies based here in San Francisco on the West Coast. Prior to that, I've been working at various big tech companies across the Bay Area, most recently uh, a four-year stint in product partnerships at Meta and five years in sales and product strategy at Twitter before that. I think for me, perhaps because of my background at Meta, working with developers to use AI for uh, mostly for improving communication products like Messenger uh, and Instagram direct messaging, I think it's always uh, customer experience advances that that I'm most excited about with AI. So I think one of my uh, favorite examples is you know, when you think about how painful it is to call a business um, and wait on hold for, for far longer than you ever want to. I think improvements in, in that customer service area driven by generative AI and conversational AI mean that now you can just send that same business uh, a message and, and get an immediate response from, from an automated flow, which in the majority of cases can solve your issue there and then. Um, and I think this for me is the most exciting type of advancement because it's a type of improvement where it's a real win-win for customers and businesses. So the customers ideally have a more enjoyable experience and maybe a more fruitful interaction. Um, and on the business side, there are bottom line efficiencies as well. So the business is improving on their cost savings, um, sometimes driving more sales and a higher return on, on advertising investments and so on. So this is kind of what I strive to find with AI, win-win business and customer improvements. I know another application, for example, people are very excited about, which is very different, is there is a, a robot at San Francisco airport that can make you a cup of coffee. AI is very far reaching and there, there really is something for everyone. Noel Keenahan from Google Cloud Partnerships, uh, leading AI ML Center of Excellence. We're, our, our role within partnerships is really to help our partners get the most out of all the generative AI capabilities that we currently have to offer. All of this is coming taken fast. We have new capabilities coming all the time. We're ensuring that our partners are aware of what's coming, getting the maximum out of those capabilities and sort of ahead of the game in terms of getting those into their products, helping their cost customers to get the, the most out of that. What I'm using most, I think there's a lot of examples in terms of what I find most exciting and, and sort of where I see the future going, the sort of infobot or chatbot aimed at your own data. So I'm using it a lot for internal knowledge bases and gathering information really quickly, summarizing that information and getting fast answers for myself and for others in the teams. And I see that being a great use case that's happening a lot, kind of on the basic side of, of what the capabilities are, but hugely important in terms or hugely beneficial for myself in terms of maximizing efficiency. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Rafa Pages. Um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Holograms. As you can probably guess by my name and my accent, I'm not from Ireland. I'm actually from Spain, <laughs> but Holograms uh, is a Dublin-based company. And, and what we do is that we build AI algorithms um, to go from 2D images or 2D videos of people into 3D volumetric holograms. So if you remember uh, the typical scene from Star Wars with uh, the hologram of Princess Leia, that's basically what we're doing, the, the capture side of that. So applications of our technology uh, are very wide. So they go from uh, marketing to uh, training to education, uh, um, mostly deployed in augmented and virtual reality because um, one of the issues of these fields is that they lack uh, a lot of content. So we, we power this content creation, I guess, but also for video games, for virtual try-on, for virtual production and any other 3D environment. So, of course, uh, my favorite AI use had to be coming from the creative space. And, uh, and it's something as, as simple 
but very useful as um, uh, this in-painting tool that Photoshop has uh, <laughs> integrated recently, where you just select a part of your image and you can just remove whatever, or you can type whatever you want it to, to appear there. Uh, you can imagine how useful that is for a designer, for an artist, or for a editor in general. I actually even edited some of the photos that we took from uh, from our last uh, press campaign and uh, and uh, gave them a little format, uh, refined them a little bit just by giving a few prompts uh, directly on Photoshop. So very cool tool already fully integrated. I love hearing all of these different examples and I love hearing all of the work that all of you are involved in. It's really incredible. One thing I would love to start with, and maybe Noel, I, I'll pass this question over to you first, is there are so many examples that we've just heard of the use of AI, but I'm sure many listening, and I'm actually also including myself here, sometimes find it hard to explain in layman's terms what AI means. Seen as how you are leading the AI center of excellence at Google Cloud, would you be able to give us a very simplified pitch for what is AI? On the most simplest level, the, the word itself, artificial intelligence, kind of hints at what we're talking about here. So classical software is following a very specific pattern. You're telling it exactly what to do, essentially, and it's going to follow that on every occasion. It's so very predictable, etc. Artificial intelligence sort of implies that there's a capability for the, the programming to actually learn as it is doing. So there's two different versions. We have predictive AI. We have generative AI, which is really what the excitement is today. Predictive is where you give it a thousand pictures of cats. It figures out what a cat looks like. And if you give it the next picture, it'll tell you if there's a cat in that picture or not. So it's sort of learning from the examples you give it. On the generative side, which is what the excitement around BARD and ChatGPT is at the moment, is really at its most basic level, what's the next word in this sentence? So when you ask it a question, it's figuring out from the billions of examples it has and lots of complicated algorithms what's the best answer to give you for that question? And through that methodology, it's actually giving you very comprehensive answers, summary information. But really, it's essentially a autocomplete on steroids, so to speak, from a generative perspective. For, from the artificial intelligence perspective, it's behaving a little bit more like we think um, and not just following the set parameters of a sort of a standard software program as we would have in the past. That brings a lot of uh, opportunities. It brings some challenges as well as, as software programmers are used to having very predictive outcomes. And I think any of you who have played around even with sort of BARD or ChatGPT will see even the same question sometimes doesn't always get the same answer. It may be slightly different. It may be formatted differently. So these are things that we work on quite a bit as, as um uh, with developers as they're using these, this technology. Alan, I want to turn to you firstly with Shopbox. You kind of touched on a little bit of the work uh, that Shopbox is doing in your introduction. What was the inspiration? Like, what was the moment that made you say, oh, this is something that I have to pursue? This yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So I guess my background... Um, I've been in the AI industry for 26 years. So as I jokingly say a lot, it's been 23 very, very lonely years, but it's been nice to meet everyone for the last three years who suddenly got excited. I, I guess you never set up a company based on one thought. It, it's a long, it's a lot of things add up together. And one thing that really always frustrated me, I, I used to work for a company called SAS Institute who uh, out of North Carolina, who is by far the largest AI vendor globally uh, for a very, very long time. And one thing that frustrated me was only very large companies got to take advantage of AI and they were doing really well out of it. You know, I know Amazon will never tell, us, tell you the numbers, but they reckon about 35% of Amazon's retail revenue comes from hyper-personalization, applying AI in retail, in, in real time. So that really frustrated me. And, and I had this thought in the back of my mind that the big, expensive, risky projects that big companies could take, we could actually 
make those much more streamlined. And, and I always had this concept that we could have just to switch on AI that understood the business context, understood what you were trying to do and just worked. And I kind of experimented with that in my, in my last company. And um, at some point I started looking for a company who was doing it better and I couldn't find one. And a friend said, well, if you can't find the job, you better start the company. So that was kind of the, the pivot point. And uh, I don't know whether I love him or hate him for it, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's such an interesting point, actually, because there's this idea that only big companies benefit from AI. There's almost like a, a misconception that AI is is too complex as well, where only the most technically savvy and only the people that have, you know, endless supplies of engineers and developers can really benefit from it. Um, and it sounds like you really felt uh, felt that that needed to be shifted, that that needed to be changed. Would I be right in saying that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like if you go back four years, five years ago, you spent half a million quid before you even got started on an AI journey. Um, and it wasn't just the expense, but um, most data scientists are not great business people, but business is the application. Um, so it's not just that the that it's expensive, but there was a big disconnect. So that's why the, the whole take the business application and figure out, use AI as one of the many tools that you're trying to use to solve a problem. It's not, it's not all AI. Um, that became really exciting for me. And, and things have changed a lot since we started Shopbox, uh, but we still see people out there who are putting huge effort in. And I would say AI stands for artificial intelligence. It also stands for automated intelligence. And the whole point of it is that it takes the drudgery away. We're, we're still seeing that where people are having to spend a lot to get started and and I think there's a there's a fair bit of snake oil out there as there always is at an industry in the in where we are. But yeah, for us it's all about just make it simple. I should be able to give the same technology to a small retailer or a massive retailer, and both of them should be able to take advantage of that fully. I really like um Alan and analysis. Um so um I think I totally agree with him about um how big companies have been benefiting from AI, let's say define AI the way you want. And mostly predictive AI as Noah was defining it too, right? So I remember reading a book, I don't know what, seven years ago or maybe six years ago, which was about Google and how they were applying machine learning at a level that all the companies would be doing basic if statements in code, if you if you get the analogy. So I totally agree with that. And I think that we're having this this um, podcast recorded today because it, it is generative AI, what has actually kind of uh, suddenly exploded, right? And and almost rendered all the predictive AI uh, obsolete. <laughs> and, and I think that one of the important things about it and about this new change is that it has made, it's now a lot more accessible than it used to be. And I think that 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 change in the landscape regarding the accessible tools and and also easy to use and, and different types of products that all, all the new companies can can start applying, it's uh, it's going to open so many new opportunities, you know. But at the same time, uh, I want to be a little bit critical, you know, when when uh, it seems that AI was invented with ChatGPT, <laughs> uh, while uh, of course there's plenty of applications that we've seen throughout decades that are using AI with companies benefit from it. And while we while we have you uh, talking about this, I'd I'd love to hear like your inspiration. What gave you the drive to to move forward with with Volograms? Yeah, I think I think I'm uh, I'm one of the the examples that also Alan was uh, mentioning, right? I'm, I was a researcher, I was a scientist, so I did uh, my PhD in 3D reconstruction, and uh, but to, I was probably the opposite of what he was saying. I'm, well, I was not still a business person, but I was a very bad scientist. You know, I was always more. I always felt more like an engineer because I wanted to see the stuff that we were developing in the lab applied in the real world. So I was always thinking, how can we bring this? to a regular consumer? How can we make a business out of this? So um, that ended up becoming the, the situation with me, right? So we were working on technologies that would allow you to uh, create content for the new platforms, right? So you see a new platform that could be virtual reality, which was like um, six, years, six years ago, or augmented reality, or or any of the new, um, let's say, virtual production, or new new mediums where you can actually provide content. And, and I always saw an opportunity. So there's a new medium. There's a new way of making money. There's a new uh, wave of opportunities that a lot of businesses and creators are going to be taking advantage of. And we saw that 
creating content in 3D in general is complicated. You need it to be either a developer or an artist. You need to know uh, 3D modeling tools or who knows what. And and being, let's say, a creator in the photography or or, or video spaces had gone from you need to have a lot of uh, specific equipment and have a license of Adobe Premiere, who knows what, uh, to now everyone can do it with their phones. So we needed to replicate or we wanted to replicate that effect because we had seen how much um, has impacted the economy, you know, and, and the creator economy, the possibility of just doing very quick video editing on your phone. We thought that there's an opportunity to actually create new tools and develop new technologies that would allow and empower all these creators into building new stuff. And, and that was the drive that we had initially. We saw the opportunity and of course we we just jumped on it. Uh, lucky enough, I, was, I had um, uh, two co-founders who were basically my lab co-workers at that point that were as crazy as me and, and didn't want to stay <laughs> working as researchers. But that was basically the, the origin of our story. I would be remiss if I didn't jump over to you, uh, Dr. Amelia Kelly, and ask what was it that attracted you to Soapbox initially? And I love telling the Soapbox origin story, I have to say. I was actually working with IBM at the time. I had recently come back from Silicon Valley where I'd been working in a startup and got a job in Dublin with IBM Watson. So at the time, I guess they were making a kind of a question answering thing at Watson that's similar to ChatGPT. And, you know, just to touch on um, Rafa's point there about uh, ChatGPT not being the origin of AI. There was loads going on in the background at all these big companies beforehand. Um, but to be honest, you know, I miss the startup life. And um, when the founder of Soapbox, Dr. Patricia Scanlon, who's currently Ireland's AI ambassador, um, she um, pretty much gave me a call and said um, she had started a company. Um, it was just her at the time. She had um, some funding. She wanted to hire a software engineer and a speech engineer. So myself and my colleague, uh, Rob, became the first two employees of Soapbox Labs after Trish. Together, we sat down, we wrote the first lines of code, uh, built the first acoustic models, language models, built a system that could recognize child speech. And it was all very difficult. We were using new technology. And even in the last 10 years, seeing how that has grown to what we are now has been like, it's been an absolute whirlwind. Uh, Trish has been fantastic at leading the company, at finding funding from different sources. Enterprise Ireland have been a, a wonderful help through and a wonderful support throughout the whole time. We have some of the biggest educational companies in the world as clients and as partners. Um, we have scaled up our system to not only be able to recognize and transcribe children's speech, but we have a full product feature suite associated with it that really specifically pertains to the applications of child speech that are relevant for children. So um, one example I like to use is, you know, when people think about speech recognition, they think about a lawyer speaking in her office and um, the speech recognition software transcribing everything she says into notes. That's great, but children don't need that. What children need is some kind of feedback on whether they've pronounced a word properly, um, some kind of indication that they have chosen the correct option in a multiple choice quiz. Things that will tell a teacher, for example, um, how well this child is progressing in their literacy journey and whether maybe even like in some of our, our newest clients now are working on um, screeners for dyslexia, for example. What we've done not only is tackle the problem, we've also made it really, really useful. And the end goal here in the education space, for example, is to free up teachers' time. If you're a teacher and you are doing running records, listening to children, uh, every child in the class reading, it takes an awful lot of time. And that's why we're building this technology at the end of the day. It's to make life easier. So that's the overall aim here. And that's kind of like the driving force behind Soapbox. And it's very exciting times ahead for us. It, it really does sound like exciting times for you. And honestly, just listening to all of the work that you're doing, it's really, truly inspiring to hear and just amazing to see the variety of applications that are happening. And um, Martha, like you're working alongside all of these different people and more businesses like this must be so inspiring to be surrounded by. 
It really is. Um, I, I feel, uh, obviously, I'm very recently hired with Enterprise Ireland, but I, I am living the dream, <laughs> as they say right now. I think a little interesting nugget for this conversation beyond my time at Twitter and Meta is a stint I enjoyed here in San Francisco in 2017 at uh, a high growth startup. And in that startup, we focused on automation for business to consumer uh, communication. So uh, in layman's terms, really automating conversations between customers and businesses. But I think the reason I bring that up is, you know, through that experience, I've navigated this learning curve firsthand um, was, you know, trying to turn what could be very complex into, into something actionable. So I really have been in the shoes that many of our client companies are now in with AI, you know, wondering how I'm going to get a handle on all of this technology. Um, and for me, and I think for a lot of the client companies, it's understanding it to the extent that you can start dreaming up business applications for it. As I said in my intro, I'm now supporting AI clients in the digital technology and enterprise software space. So these folks are far more tech savvy um, than most, but I think I'm still um, sort of witness day in, day out to some of these misconceptions for AI. And, and I completely understand it um, because I think sometimes, again, until you start talking about specific use cases and applications of the technology, it really can be an extremely technical conversation. It's going to be very, very important for businesses, especially Irish businesses, to try and overcome that fear, because I think this technology is very much gaining ground of late. Um, and it's going to be those who jump in and, and really wrap their hands around it, understand how it can help them to advance their business value. Um, those are going to be the people who are the winners here. Um, there is a disruptive wave of companies coming. Um, and I think these companies are going to be successful by doing what everybody on the, the conversation and the podcast today is doing. It's layering their existing domain expertise and their, their understanding of a certain application or a certain area of business over these latest advancements in AI. Um, and there really is no reason to believe that these can't be Irish companies. And I think anyone listening who uh, this is sort of sparking ideas for, um, it should be a call to action. This conversation should be a call to action for, for others to just dive in. I, I love that. If there are folks that are inspired, like what are the things that Enterprise Ireland are doing to help support Irish businesses that are investing in this area? Looking back to the first episode of, of this podcast series, we heard from our CEO, Leo Clancy, on Enterprise Ireland's business strategy up to the end of 2024. So that's our leading in a, in a changing world strategy. And one of our key ambitions under that strategy is to support Irish enterprises achieving competitive advantage through innovation. So this isn't just a nice to have for us. This isn't a, you know, a conversation for, for the sake of conversation. This is one of the keys to our future success. Um, so I think in a nutshell, very simply for those who are listening and are inspired by the conversation, I would say to get in touch. To, to let us know how we can help um, and let us point you in the direction of the various support mechanisms we already have in place to help you out, whether you're here in the US or you're at home in Ireland, wherever you are in your journey with AI, um, we have many people um, and support mechanisms in place to, to help with that journey and to help accelerate that journey for you. Noel, I'd love to pass over to you because I know that you're also advising with Enterprise Ireland. And how did you kind of find yourself in this position? And with the work that you've been doing, what have you been most excited about? And like, what are the areas that you are eager to see growth in? Yeah, so the, you know, how did I end up here is a little bit of a circuitous route. I was a long-term Ericsson, so telecom background, deploying embarrassed to say 3G, 4G and 5G, so multiple Gs, I guess I'll skip the 6G phase, um, moved over to Google about three years ago and working within the partnerships organization, supporting lots of our cloud initiatives, so a lot around Kubernetes and so on. And as the focus over the last year has changed, um, myself and my team sort of changed tack, quickly became you know, got up to speed on everything from a Gen AI perspective that Google was up to and sort of leveraging those partnership muscles that we had from the work we were doing on Kubernetes, et cetera, switch gears very quickly into Gen AI. So a little bit of a circuitous route, but been a really exciting journey. In terms of 
what I'm the most excited about. I see the the video and, and sort of content generation as being something that I'm expecting to explode over the next several years. I think we're we're a few years away from that being at the final point where I see it. I think if you've seen some of those trailers of Lord of the Rings and the style of Wes Anderson and so on, very entertaining, kind of hilarious short videos, very nicely put together using AI. But I see that we're not that many years away from, hey, I'd like to I'd like to watch a, a rom-com starring, you know, X, Y, and Z actors and actresses um, based in this location with, with this type of content in the style of whatever director you prefer. Um, and rather than us selecting from, from a Netflix catalog, some of that it gets actually generated on the fly for you. And I, I think that is closer than maybe people can even imagine right now. So that's, that's something that I kind of, from a vision perspective, I, I'm excited to, to experience. Another example where I, I see a lot of value is really around changing the workflows. So, so again, it, the, the, the use case itself and how we're doing it is relatively simple. And I'll call this talk to the databases. So within a lot of businesses, there's, there's complex databases, there's many databases, and you have you know, engineers who are focused on delivering sort of content from that from their business users. And, and I think Alan was talking about that sort of di- dichotomy between business un- users and engineers. What we're now able to do with generative AI is allow somebody to, in sort of a natural language question, just talk to that database in a way they never would have been able to before without understanding the complex languages like SQL to, to actually get the information out that they want. And this is really changing the workflow. So you now have a marketing person who can go in and sort of ask the question about, okay, what's the lifetime value of users between 25 and 35 in the you know, greater Dublin area? And that information can be, that's a very complex sort of multi-database question that can now be pulled out through that natural language. And again, completely changes the, the sort of how business is done within that company. One thing I want to bring this all back to is like the connection to Ireland. And I I recently read that Ireland has the highest share of enterprises in Europe using artificial intelligence. What is it right now that makes us unique? Where, Where has this drive for Irish businesses to embrace AI come from? Happy to start, Dave. I think um, I, I've probably read the the same article that you're talking to. It was very uh, exciting to read. It's very clear to the world that Ireland has a, a thriving deep tech sector today. Um, and I really think that AI is just one strand of this. So we have you know, a number of the world's largest tech companies all located in Ireland. Um, and many of these companies have been progressing with machine learning and, and artificial intelligence through research and development activities for a very long time out of Ireland. Um, And I think the companies that I'm talking about have have built up a lot of expertise in this area. And they've probably done that in two ways. People gain a significant amount of tech experience and and expertise working at at multinationals before leaving to go out on their own and develop their own offering. Um, So I think that's one aspect of it, but but also uh, worth mentioning we have a very strong focus in Ireland on tech at, at third and fourth level academic institutions. The idea is that these academic institutions are facilitating the inception of, of new research, new innovation, new IP. In a lot of cases, um, they will spin out new high potential startup companies that can in turn be supported by Enterprise Ireland. And I think perhaps lastly um, is the appetite that our Irish diaspora has to share knowledge and enthusiasm for emerging technologies like this with other Irish founders and entrepreneurs. And I think that is absolutely playing a part in propelling Irish enterprises into these new areas of tech. Um, You know, this Tech Advisory Council is uh, essentially a quarterly forum where Irish startup founders can, can gain access to invaluable advice from a whole host of Irish tech titans here in the US who have committed their time to advising the next generation of Irish tech companies. And I think that that commitment, that uh, desire to advise and to give back to the next round of emerging technologists and, and founders is something that is uniquely Irish. 
So I, I totally agree with Martha. I, I guess that I wanted to give my view as a, the non-Irish person in this call, <laughs> I guess. like a, So I, I moved to Ireland and six years ago, so I, I got to see the difference with uh, the Spanish ecosystem and the Irish ecosystem. And I think there's a key fundamental aspect aspects that um, have um, had a massive influence, you know, in, in the adoption of not only AI, but other kind of high technologies like deep tech and and deep tech in general. So you see how there's sectors in the in the economy that are really, really developed in Ireland, while they are not as developed in other countries that typically would would be more powerful in terms of uh, the economy. And I think that um, all comes for uh, one single same thing, which is uh, investment. Uh, and I'm not talking about VC investment. I'm talking about investment in every level of uh, that starts from uh, the, the government, from the pub, uh, private individuals, from the institutions, and of course, from uh, venture, venture capital. Um, a good example is the reason that I, <laughs> I moved to Ireland was because there was this project from the Science Foundation of Ireland um, that was about creating a new lab uh, in Trinity College, um, for, where a bunch of uh, a bunch of researchers from all over the world were going to be working on image-based technologies. So, of course, a lot of computer vision, image processing, light field, and that includes, of course, uh, different variations of AI. Um, that was a massive investment that I've never seen uh, being done, for instance, in in my own country, in Spain. You know, with uh, the objective of bringing international talent to Dublin or to Ireland and see what happens afterwards. Right. So th there was. There's, of course, a lot of um, um, objectives from this project, and one of them was creating companies. So there's a couple of companies that have spun out from Trinity just from this project. And this is this is a good example of how um, by making a big investment into R&D, a big investment into research, uh, uh, applied research, or, or even into scientific, more like a theoretical research, ends up um, benefiting the economy in general. So I think that uh, other examples that, that, that Martha was... Um, mentioning like for instance having there like all the big tech companies have a big influence too because uh, when we were discussing earlier about the companies that have been benefiting from from using AI throughout the years those are the companies that are now setting up in in Ireland and basically putting that mentality into the, the whole population into the developers into the ecosystem in general and I think that's one of the reasons why AI and deep tech in general is very um, very widely adopted in Ireland and and it's not in other countries. Yeah, I think I, I, one thing, sorry, it's Alan here. One thing I, I, I would absolutely say, I think you guys have hit on it, is inward investment. There, there is nothing like having a lot of people in one place. And Zoom and everything else is never going to replace that, in my opinion. Um, I never thought it would during COVID. I think people need to work together to be inspired um, and to learn rapidly from each other. I think one thing we are very good at on top of that is we're pretty good at innovation. We're good at ideas. And I think AI is at that stage where everything's about innovation. Um, it's not really yet about um, industrializing every process, which, you know, eventually it will be. But right now it's about inspiration. It's about ideas and it's about applications. And I, I do think we're, we're particularly good at that. I think part of that comes out of uh, we've got a very broad educational system where we expect people to learn history as well as maths. Um, and I think that benefits that's benefited our, our country very well for many years. Um, and the last thing I would say, people, uh, um, I think Martha mentioned Cedar. You know, we've employed people from Cedar. We've employed people who have moved to Ireland to take up masters in Ireland. So the education system at, at second level is exceptionally or at third level is exceptionally important um, because it's not just about the inward investment, but it's that brings people in for education as well. And um, thankfully, a lot of them are staying behind. Uh, um, after they've been educated uh, and joining companies like ours. Um, I'd just like to chime in as well and, and uh, second that about um, the third level education in AI. So now there's a very good master's in the University of Limerick um, for artificial intelligence and um, it's got it's hugely popular and it's uh, turning out a whole pile of people who are very, very uh, well educated and totally ready for the industry. Um, personally, I've kept contact with um, my university groups at Trinity and NUIG as well, where I did my undergrad, and um, also a group at UCD who I collaborated with a lot during my um, my PhD as well. There's a lot of students coming out of there. We have an internship cycle, so I've got students coming from there to work at Soapbox for a few um, 
months at a time. And, um, you know, time and time again, we've ended up hiring them um, into the company. So it's it's been really, really great. Um, I think there's very close ties between um, industry and um, education. And I, I really think that, you know, you get just the best, most enthusiastic, well-rounded candidates from these kind of um, these kind of um, programs. And and maybe adding to, to what both Alan and Amelia said, one piece that I've sort of heard and latched onto a little bit is maybe the ultimate um, qualification for generative AI is a, a double a double degree in math and philosophy. So this is a, a sort of a unique requirement in terms of breadth of knowledge. It's not just a deep technical knowledge. It's not just coding or um, you know, being a software engineer or a data scientist, it is actually more than that. The sort of art of prompt engineering comes with sort of almost a, a literature philosophy slant. And I do think there's there's a couple of pieces that, you know, that's one piece that make the Irish particularly uh, qualified, so to speak. I, I think everybody else touched on the, the deep technology base, both from our universities, and I think true, the, the many good homegrown and foreign companies that are that are based in Ireland. And again, I think that there's a lack of fear in terms of trying this out. And I, you know, in terms of call to action, as Marta said, this is still extremely early. We should not be afraid. We should not think somebody else is ahead or we're too far behind or it's going to change too quickly. It is absolutely going to change. But I think what you learn in the process of starting now gets you that head start. And I think that lack of fear of trying and innovating is absolutely critical. As you were all talking about like the investments that are going into, um, you know, continuing to develop. Amelia, you mentioned that Dr. Patricia Scanlon is like the AI ambassador to Ireland. I recently read as well that the Irish government is setting up an AI advisory council. What are some of your hopes for the outputs and the benefits that you'd like to see from, from this council? Uh, one of the uh, biggest things that I think I know Trish as AI ambassador is very concerned about at Soapbox dealing with children's voice technology and the applications of it that we're very concerned about is um, the potential for bias to creep into AI systems and be propagated at scale in whatever field that the AI is unleashed in. I think um with this council that's being set up at the moment, one of the things that um, Trisha would really like to raise awareness of, we all would at Soapbox like to raise awareness of the fact that um, the onus is on the builders of AI products and technology to ensure that what they're using, what they're employing, they're not doing it blindly, that they're um, doing it uh, in a very targeted way and are very, very aware of the potential for bias that can creep into systems. So the examples like I can give you close to home for us are with voice recognition systems. Um, the way that they're built is not by programming a system with explicit rules, but by showing it examples, hundreds and thousands of examples um, that it learns from. So if the examples that you show the model or the, the algorithm are um, all very homogenous, um, for example, if I were to train an acoustic model um, built solely on the voices of uh, white Irish children, then that model, if it was being used in a different context in the United States, for example, it wouldn't work very well for, um, for example, speakers of African-American English or Latino English in the US. We make sure at Soapbox that we um, are building models that... Um, incorporate all the voices that we possibly can, as many diverse examples of voices that we can. So we, we end up with a model that is um, able to recognize different accents and different dialects and treat them just the same. So these are really, really pressing issues because as we start to employ AI at scale, there's a real danger that uh, we will employ a system that will blindly start making decisions. And if we aren't aware of how that system is built, if uh, people aren't being very transparent about their data, the data that goes into the models, how the models are built, then the biases of the humans that built the AI system will propagate. Without a human in the loop, this can 
really, really have long-term damaging effects. So I think this is something that um, really we all need to, to look at as we start to employ AI technology at scale. You've made such a great point there of like keeping humans in the loop throughout all of this. I, I That at the end of the day, artificial intelligence, as, as much as we are talking about an intelligence, humans were the initial creators of that intelligence and some biases can still pass on. So it's important to kind of keep humans in the loop and make sure that we don't necessarily cause unintended harms. But the other thing as well, and I think this is something that I uh, heard touched on as well, is that a lot of the work that you're talking about, it really seems to be more about augmenting people's experiences, improving people's experiences and improving people's lives, um, more so than kind of creating something that Re removes the need for people. So I almost feel like that when we talk about humans in the loop, there's almost like two elements to it of like one, making sure that humans are there to make sure that this is done in an ethical way. And two, that this technology is used to bolster people's lives and improve people's lives and add value more so than to take away from them, you know? Absolutely. Um, and I think one of the fears of adopting AI that people have before they start adopting a system for use in their, their own sector is, is this machine going to replace me? Um, is my job going to be relevant in the next 10 years? Um, I think that a lot of those fears are well-founded. I think a lot of them are not well-founded. I know personally, as a builder of AI technology, that our aim is to make sure that what we're building is a useful tool. What we need to make sure that we're getting across here is so that people do actually start adopting AI technology as a useful tool that can solve these social problems um, is just talk to them about their fears of what AI is there for. Now, I was going to jump in on that as well. Totally agree with Amelia. And I would say AI is not going to take your job, but somebody using AI might. And that means, as Amelia said, it's, it's the best tool for the job in many cases, and it's going to be a very powerful tool for people to learn to use it. And that would be sort of my advice to folks would be get a handle on this, sort of understand what it can do for your particular domain. I, I see the case, Amelia mentioned teachers. I see the case for doctors as well of... It will be, doctors are overloaded, they're overworked, they have too many patients, they work too many hours. Having a, a tool that helps them in the diagnostic process is an absolutely massive advantage. Personally, I still want the doctor making the decision for me, and I see that as being the case for a very, very long time to come. But this is an amazing tool to help them gather all that information, which is difficult when they're doing rounds and they have 15 minutes per patient or whatever that, that time frame is to get all that information together, summarize it for them, give them a few options and allow them to make the decision based on all of their experience, et cetera. So, you know, again, a tool, a very powerful new tool in the toolbox that they will be using. Uh, a great message as well and a great piece of inspiration. Your job won't necessarily be replaced by AI, but it may be replaced by somebody utilizing AI. Uh, I love that. Um, to close us out, I'd love to continue the the inspiring conversation and inspire the folks that are listening in today. Um, I'd love to start with you, Alan. Um, what does success look like in the next 12 to 18 months? And is there anything that the digital Irish audience can help you out with? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. The one thing I always say is the only thing I can predict about the future is that all predictions will be wrong. So um, the, for me, we're at a massively exciting time with AI. Uh, the, the art of the possible is just crazy. And um, so for us, what we're really looking at is we're taking everything that we see in our sector, which is e-commerce, and we're kind of assuming it's all wrong because it's all based on fairly rigid rule-based systems. And this is the way it always worked. And I think now is the time to say, actually, everything's up for grabs. Um, so without giving away secrets, some of the things we're looking at for next year are already things that I, I wouldn't have even considered six months ago. I wouldn't have even thought we could. But when you take the, the, the leap in generative AI 
we can start now applying that in ways that are really inspirational and, and can make a big difference to people. Um, so for us, I think success, and I think it will be for most Irish AI companies for a few years to come, is all about innovation. Every time um, I talk to the team about this, it's it's the, the one thing I say is we are not here to reproduce what other people do. do. Okay, we're here. We're here to leap ahead. We're here to think, and we're here to inspire each other. And we get some of it right. We get some of it wrong. But I think um, that's where the real value comes from. And um, so for me, we got loads of plans around things we want to do, and I, I want to be able to show them to people, and they go, "Wow, that's magic!" Because I, I keep saying to people, you know, AI isn't magic. Is it? Actually, you know what? It is. It really feels like magic still. And uh, and I think it will for a while to come. So every time we release something, it should feel like magic. So that's where I'm. Well, success will come commercially, but hopefully we do that through innovation. Amelia, I'll, I'll pass the same question over to you. So for the next 12, 15 months or 18 months is going to be really, really and really interesting time for Soapbox. Um, I mentioned earlier that we have recently got this grant to um build our whole speech engine in Spanish as well. Um, so that's from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And I think it's just going to be a massively exciting time, um, not only to build the system, have our team build the system and all the, all the situation that comes with it, but um, also to uh, work with clients and see our clients adopting this and start building out the products and the uh, systems that they'll then launch in schools. Um, so success for us in the next year or so is going to be seeing those products launch. Um, we have back to school 2023, back to school 2024. And these, the, these companies are already working on innovative products and systems that are being used by teachers, by educational companies and by students in school districts in the US and all over the world. And, and seeing those go out there and seeing this technology being used in the field is just massively exciting for us. Um, I suppose just from what, what people um, can think about is, uh, and the, the Irish people and, and people who are following Soapbox is, uh, yeah, just keep, keep an eye and see where we're going. Um, I, I think uh, we're really soapbox um, are really a forerunner now for talking about AI equity and making equitable and explainable and transparent AI that takes into account data privacy and um, equity as well. Um, so actually, last year we um, got all we well we applied for a certificate from the um, U.S. nonprofit company Digital Promise. They created a certificate that um, basically is a badge to companies that um, for companies that allows people to see that they have reached a particular standard through a rigorous audit. The certificate that we were awarded is for prioritizing racial bias in AI design. So um, what they did is they came and looked at the way we built our models and our systems and uh, the way we designed our uh, software as a service. And... Um, we explain to them how, for example, we deal with data privacy, how we um, are very transparent and very above board in uh, how long we, we store, how we store children's data, for example, and who the owner of that data is, how we've no competing business models, for example. Um, you know, a lot of big tech, they're not giving you voice technology for free. They're um, really taking your voice and profiling it and using it to um, advertise, uh, do more targeted advertising, for example. When you're dealing with things like children's voices, you can't do that. And you need to be very, very upfront about the fact that you're not doing it. So um, that's what we do. And that, that's a whole part of um, our system. Also, we um, test so rigorously on different accents and dialects in the US. So African-American English, Latino English. And as we move into Spanish, we'll be employing that same rigor. So at the moment, we are the first and only company to have been awarded the Digital Promise Certificate for prioritizing racial equity and AI design. And um, I suppose my message to the people who are beginning to use AI and begin to see it being used, and I'm talking to parents now and teachers and people in the education sector, um, look at what AI can bring to you, look at how it can help you, but also make sure you ask questions of the developers and the providers of AI technology. Um, is it equitable? Is it going to, to treat all children equally? Is it going to work well 
for all children, regardless of their race, ethnicity, socioeconomic background. Um, as an AI practitioner, a practitioner and a builder of AI, I really think that um, we need to be educating people in what questions to ask before they adopt systems and start using them. So um, I would encourage people who are adopting AI and seeing it being used in different facets of their lifestyle to ask the question, how was this built? Who built it? Basically, check your sources and ask the difficult questions. And only then will AI become a useful tool for everybody and not just a small subsection of the society. Raphael, what does success look like to you? And uh, what is your ask of the digital Irish audience? Wow, I'm overwhelmed with uh, with uh, Amelia's response. It was so thoughtful. <laughs> I think that that for us, success uh, is that we get uh, more people adopting the technology and using it. Of course, I think that uh, during the next few, next months, we're going to see um, a big change in not only for us but for all the companies in our space that are creating 3D content. Right. So Noel uh, in, uh, earlier was talking about you know how video it's uh, it's kind of the next step. Uh, I think that video is definitely the, the the thing that is being disrupted right now. And we think that 3D content is just coming right after. There's plenty of companies doing amazing stuff, you know, about uh, 3D reconstructing environments, creating objects, creating 3D models for games, assets, and all kinds of things. And I think that holograms needs to play a fundamental part of that. Uh, there's a new platform launching also, uh, which is the, if you follow the tech news, uh, the, I'm assuming that you know about the Apple announcement of a new headset, uh, which is also going to bring the excitement to the to this space that probably the iPhone or some other platforms brought a um, long time ago. So I think that for us, success would be to get more people to use it more regularly. Um, so I guess usage and, and of course that would, uh, would um, convert or let's say transform into more clients uh, that will go to our business. I think that if I have an ask for the, let's say the audience is that uh, they go ahead and and try to try all kinds of um, applications and technologies that would spark their creativity, right? So I was talking about the Photoshop features. Uh, it is impressive. What are the things that you can do? And I think that um, creativity is one of the things that really makes uh, your brain uh, exercise. And I think that right now we have a bunch of tools, uh, not only us, but I think in general in the whole ecosystem that um, will allow you to do things that you never thought you could do. And there's going to be new careers based on the, the AI tools that allow you to create new uh, text, images, video, 3D models, but also um, all kinds of new narratives, all kinds of new experiences. And, and I'm just looking forward to see uh, what people are able to create. And I hope that Volograms is a part of their creative processes. Fantastic stuff. Well, uh, I want to thank all of you for joining today. This has been a fascinating discussion. Uh, Martha, with, with just to close us out, there's so much great information here. There's so much great work that Enterprise Ireland are doing in this space. For those you mentioned, you know, for those who are inspired, there's so much they can do. But where could people find out more, like about the work that Enterprise Ireland are doing? Um, where can they read up more about the impact that Enterprise Ireland are having? Absolutely, yeah. So I think I might do a small plug for Enterprise Ireland here on the west coast very quickly. Um, we are a growing office. We're very excited to be welcoming in some amazing new talent in the coming months. Um, that's both through the assignment of, of new market advisors that we have coming in locally and, and also new and exciting graduate recruits transferring over from Ireland as we speak. Um, and really success for us is success for our clients. So I've said it before, but we are here to help Irish companies start, innovate and scale here in, in the U.S. Um, and I think when we think ahead uh, for 2024 and beyond, we want to be aligning our clients' focus on, on the key themes that are emerging in our market. Um, and this conversation is very pertinent because AI is, is one of the, the most emergent themes we have um, in front of us at the moment, particularly here in the US and on the West Coast. Um, so this technology is, is going to be playing a major role in, in shaping 
global competitiveness and, and productivity over the coming years. Um, and so I think we've all talked about the advantage that that early adopters will have here. Um, so there's a big opportunity for, for businesses of all sizes and, and in all sectors to, to really reap rewards from AI amongst other digital technologies. And I think, you know, at the risk of repeating myself, that's the message that we have for today. It's, it's how we see it as an opportunity. Um, so anybody listening, um, whether you're a, a, you know, a client of Enterprise Ireland's or, or even a potential client, or you are um, maybe an advisor or a mentor in the making, um, whether you're at home in Ireland or you're listening here in the US or elsewhere, um, I think the call to action, again, is to just get in touch. Um, for me, in, in my career, you know, the power of, of the network is, is very real, very tangible. Um, and I think EI, uh, as, a, as an organization, is always happy to be the conduit um, to help making those connections. So really, I think the easiest place to reach out to us is if you go to our website, enterprise-ireland.com. There is a location there you can find where we have contact information for all of our offices across the, the world. Um, and my information is housed there as well, specifically for the San Francisco office. So reach out um, through the website and that's probably the easiest place to get started. Um, and we're very excited to hear from people, whether on the topic of AI or just generally growing um, your, your Irish connections or your Irish companies outside of the island of Ireland. Um, so get in touch. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you again to all of our guests and a special thanks to Enterprise Ireland. This is the second podcast in our series that we are doing with them. Keep an eye out. In three weeks' time, we'll have our third episode. But for now, please share this podcast with anybody who may find it useful. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And until next time, take it easy.